Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Welcome to episode number 180 of the podcast. Today, we're joined by Scott Miller. Now, I was introduced to Scott by a mutual friend, Andy Vasily and Neela Steele. And uh, both Andy and Neela have been on the podcast a couple of times. So whenever they recommend anything, I'm like, beauty, Scott must be an absolute champion and we have to get him on. Now, Scott is a creator of iCoach Connect. And what I love about his story today is... Um, he talks about a full journey in life and how he's been an actor, been an acting coach, he's lived overseas, he now lives in Australia, he's co-parenting, um, and he's been a leader in corporate hospitality as well. And and through all that, um, a couple of years ago, he just realized that he wasn't fulfilling his dream of what he wanted to get out of life. And he talks about how he just decided, right, I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing and start following my passion. And that's how iCoach Connect was created. And I think a lot of people will be able to resonate with his message, with his story, um, and the great work he's doing now. And um, you can go to our show notes, episode 180, and, and check out links to his website um, and the great work he's doing. And, and not only that, it was just a really nice organic chat today that I'm sure people will be able to resonate with him wherever they're in their life at the moment. If they want more out of it, they want a career change, they're not happy with something, then I think Scott's story is a really good one that will hit home with you today. So episode number 180. It's like getting three great shots in darts, okay? This is Scott Miller. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Really excited. This is episode number 180 with Scott Miller. How are you, buddy? I'm well, and yourself? Mate, tip top for a Monday. Very excited to have you on here. Now, I have been told by a very close friend of mine, Andy Vasily, and his lovely wife, Neela, they've actually been on the podcast a couple of times, that you are the man, mate. <laughs> well, it's nice to know that the money I've paid Andy is uh, coming to fruition and, and getting the dollar that I deserve out of it. <laughs> um, He's, uh... we, we actually, him, him and I actually went a long time. We went to university together, played football together. And we were actually competing quarterbacks for uh, for the role in uh, in our football years. And we there's a, a long break just with us being across different parts of the world where we went. We just reconnected recently, which has turned out to be a, a great thing in my life. Put me yeah, put me in contact with you. That's cool, mate. Now with with gridiron, I obviously I think it's a fascinating sport. Um, it is. I, I think it's very much like sort of like cricket that it's. Uh, for those people listening in Australia, that it is a team game, but it's a very individual game within a team. Um, and like you were just saying, you're competing for the quarterback role. What What's your take on it? Because I know there's so many players and you have to get it all right to be a team, but essentially you're trying to get your meters. You're trying to get your spot. You know, it's very individualized, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I'm sure the the mindset and the way I looked at it back in those days is a lot different than how I would, how I would today, having a bit of growth over those years. Um, but it's, um, because it's such a, a violent sport as well. And, and it's, um, what people don't realize about it that, that didn't grow up with it. It's a really uh, intelligent sport. So like it, the average high school football player, they got to memorize like 250 plays. Somebody says some code, and you got to know what you do with each of those, right? There's a quite a bit of just aggression along with the, the mental focus that goes with it. So you end up leaning on your teammates a lot more than you end up competing with them, even though you're going for the same role a lot of time. You end up being the closest friends because you're in it together, right? 
Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's really, particularly on Netflix, I think they've made it more, for people in Australia that haven't grown up playing it, um, I think it's fascinating, um, the dynamics of the game, how it works, everything like that. But you do see, I don't know, just with the concussion, um, obviously that's becoming a, a really big thing. And I don't know if you've seen recently yeah. that Aaron Hernandez um, documentary on Netflix. And if you haven't seen it, it's, it's quite have. sad, yeah. Um, that, do you, with it, I know you wear a lot of protection and things like that, but... Do you think that actually is a bad thing because you, that you hit head on? Whereas, like in for people in Australia of AFL, you know, we are taught to tackle using our shoulder and get down low. Um, do you, yeah. What, what's your take on all that? Yeah, the, t- today's day and age and today's equipment and the way they play the game is a lot safer than what it was and people are being taught the right way to do it. Uh, back in mine and Andy's days, it was kind of like you were being weaponized when they gave you these this equipment. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yep. like, oh, I've got this indestructible force I can now do things with, and you can't because your brain still smashes on the inside of your head, regardless of what's smashing on the outside. Um, and that that time period, this was back in the 90s when we played. So, you know, people were given praise for injuring other players, and it was it was a dangerous it was a dangerous time to be a quarterback, and it's. Uh, Surprising that either Andy or I, I survived with our uh, our makeup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's. Uh, I think uh, concussion. I know is more than we're going to talk about in the podcast, but I think it's becoming more prevalent in all sports. You know, because um, previously it was about you praised for going in hard and you praised for not showing being hurt and you, you got to keep going. And yeah. I think that's with society these days as well that um, it is okay to talk. It is okay not to be all right. And um, whereas back then, you know, we had to man up. We had to be brave and. Um, I think sport's changing with that. So let's get away from sport, but let's talk about your background, Scott, because, mate, you've been an actor, you've yeah. been a coach, you've, you've done so many wonderful things. Do you want to sort of paint the picture for listeners? Jeez, yeah, that's uh, – we're going to need a big canvas, but I think I can do it, I think I can do it <laughs> briefly. I can do the stamp version. Um, <laughs> when, I came out, when I came out of university, it was actually some back issues and a bit of uh, uh, head issues that, that took me out of football. And that was actually the first time really trying to change something in my life, being known for something, you know, you're in a newspaper for, for sport and your picture's up there and people see you, they ask you how football's going, that becomes your identity and having to change your direction in life, which is going to change the identity that people know you at was the first time I ever had to experience it. And I struggled with it. And I went to, uh, I ended up uh, to get away from it after I think six months, I took a job to teach English over in Korea. And I did that for a while and I traveled around Canada a bit when I got back and worked in some sales jobs and different things. And I was really close to kind of just jumping into corporate world back in those days when I had uh, I'd reconnected with my now best friend um, who I played football with as well, Warren Christie. And we made this, uh, this one night over drinks. We got really drunk and, and both admitted to each other, I want to be an actor and kind of this, this thing that uh, football buddies and manly men didn't really admit to each other back in those days. And, and we, uh, we, sold my car, used half the money to travel and half the money to buy a Jeep and went to LA and gave it a shot, right? Um, we were told you can't just show up in a different country and start working, so get back to Canada and smarten up, which we ended up in Vancouver and chasing that dream there. Um, she did for a lot of years, uh, maybe 12, 15 years now that I've been, been an actor and it had different um, value in my life at different times. I was truly an artist at one point. Um, where I was deep and I was studying nonstop and I didn't have TV and I even went to rehab. Like I did the whole, the whole nine yards as an actor. Right. Um, and then that, that time kind of came to when my, my son was born. So I've been a dad, my, my son, Nico blue was born uh, nine years ago. 
And that really was the, the external force that this caused me to really take a look at the direction my life was going in. And um, that's what ended me up out here in Australia a couple of years later, because his mom being Australian and we've got our own kind of story with that as co-parents, as we raise and, 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 and take care of him. Um, that, that was another big life transition through into that. And then out here having to find work again, cause I worked running bars for, for a long time, uh, um, hospitality I was able to find work in that again out here, but had struggles with, with, uh, addictions and, and, and mental issues at times and just dealing with life, you know, nothing, nothing major, nothing, even that I would say I went to a doctor and got, uh, got diagnosed as, as having depression or diagnosed as this, but just that general feeling of, um, just have good days and bad days and, yeah. and dealing with that, which, which I think all of us do. Right. Um, and I had, uh, I had a really big health scare in my final days in hospitality. This was about eight or nine months ago where I had caught a, um, I ended up finding out that I had caught a virus. I thought it was food poisoning, but I had a night where I woke up and try and get to the bathroom to, um, things were happening. I guess we'll just say that in case anybody's <laughs> eating breakfast or whatever time of day it is. Um, realizing I was, I was losing my, I was passing out and trying to call triple O and probably would have dialed 911 and it wouldn't have worked anyways. But I, uh, I ended up passing out and waking up about a half an hour later in a, in a, in a pool of disgust and, and I couldn't move anything below my eyes. Like I couldn't move my mouth. I couldn't move my hands or my legs. And I was, this was a, a six month stint where we had, I had moved out of the house where I'm at now with my ex and, and my son co-parenting and we were giving this a shot and I was lying on the ground thinking, you know, this is, um, <clears throat> this is what death looks like. This is what, this is the end. Excuse me. And, um, came to after a little while and I went to go call the ambulance again and ended up falling asleep and somehow just ended up taking a day off work and then going back to work after. And what ended up being about a six week saga after that of, of this, this virus that's a very common virus. It turns out it just affected my liver really, really badly. And there was the doctors at one point thought that I had liver cancer and I had lost, you know, 12 kilos in two weeks. And I thought, wow. I thought, again, I thought I'm dying. Right. And then as I'm working that job, which in, in no disrespect to hospitality, it's a great industry and there's a great career there for people. But at my age at 40, 45 now, and where I was at, I was working, you know, another 50 to 60 hour week and kind of looking around going like, is this, is this what I was worried about while I was lying on the floor? Or when am I going to start looking at the things that I was thinking about while I was locked down? And, um, that, that day, literally I, um, I, I left, I left my job and I made a decision to start doing something different. Wow. Well, yeah. And that's, that's, that's where I started to take those steps towards becoming a life coach. Yeah. Scott, that's, uh, it's a, mate, there's so many things I want to sort of talk about in there, but um, one of them for me is that like you were just saying that you've never been diagnosed with, you know, depression or anxiety or different things like this. And I think that's a common thing that people say you can't talk about it because it hasn't been labelized or you haven't been categorized, yeah. if that sort of makes sense. Whereas we all go through ups and downs and it is okay to talk about. You don't need to be clinically said that you've had depression, do you? No, no. And I think just like we we're saying with the concussions and, and stuff like that, like to, to be brave enough to stand up and say something's going on now, I think is the new bravery. And it's the new courage that we need to really celebrate in people. Right. And for me, I was lucky enough through those acting years, I got to spend a, a lot of years studying acting really on the theater kind of side. Right. 
and being in an environment where a man, somebody who grew up a, a manly man, although some, some of my friends might disagree that I was that manly, but, <laughs> but <laughs> with the football uniform on, I seen it. Um, but growing up with that kind of mentality, I actually got to work and, and practice in an environment where when I got to open up my heart and, and cry a little bit or shed a, shed a bit of my emotion, people applauded instead of laughing now, right? And that was, for me, that was just such an empowering feeling of like, wait a minute, there's the stuff's going on, whether I'm hiding it or not, there is a place and there is, there's people out there that get it. And, and actually everybody gets it, I think in the right place and at the right time when we're sharing like that, who doesn't, who doesn't want to connect? And it's actually how the, the name of my business, um, my coaching business, I coach connect came to be. It's about really connecting with ourselves, our emotions, with the people around us. And I just think that, um, you know, when you take those stigmas out of that, it's going to have some diagnosis or it's got to, it's got to fit some norm for us to be able to share it. Otherwise it's wrong. I mean, I almost got laughed out of rehab 15 years ago because I went in cause I was a pot smoker. People are like pot, pot. I got, I have pot for breakfast. Oh, let me tell you about my drug problem. Oh, like, yeah. Well, this is, this is, and that's my journey, right? That was my thing. Cigarettes, nicotine and cigarettes and, and marijuana were the two things that have been my kryptonite in life. And some people that might be heroin, it might be shopping, it might be, codependency it might be depression who knows what it is right we've all got kryptonites yeah um, but not being ashamed of what those are and, and and not feeling like well it's not serious enough so i can't tell people about it because it doesn't deserve that um if it's weighing you down if it's stealing your energy if it's if it's stopping you from 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 connecting with your superpowers then it's worth talking about and it's worth doing something about yeah and i think that's a really good point you've just made there that to some you should never judge or you should never compare and you should never say mm -hmm. oh mine's worse than you and um i think a really good example of it uh at the moment with like obviously around the world with coronavirus going on and everything like that and um you find people comparing themselves oh it's going to affect me more it's going to do this like you've got no <laughs> you know what i mean you've got no right to do that you need to flip it around the other way and sort of see it through somebody else's eyes and have that sort of empathy lens don't you because at the end of the day um you actually can't compare yourself to somebody else you don't know what they're going through and if you start doing that it's such a negative place to be yeah i, I agree and it, it plays with our own mind when we start comparing to others and their journeys and not knowing the whole story and where we fit in that but i also think there's the there's the flip side of that where people believe like people just don't understand. They won't understand. You don't understand my problems. When in reality, we've all, we all know empathy. We all have empathy. We all understand the plight of other people to some degree, right? My, my son does it to me all the time when he was, he doesn't want to do something. So he tells me, oh, I don't want to clean my room, you know, because my arm hurts. And I'm like, <laughs> my arm doesn't hurt. Dad, you don't understand. I broke my arm. You don't understand. I'm like, well, Daddy does understand. I broke my arm when I was a kid too. Well, you don't understand. I broke it twice, Dad. Well, I do. I broke, it. I broke it twice. But you don't understand. I broke it twice and once when I was camping. I'm like, well, I wasn't camping. See, you don't understand. I don't. And it's like, it's like you kind of want to shake the world at times because I think that's a, a microcosm of what, what's going on in the world where it's like, I'm sorry, but, but I think we do understand. I think we all understand what it means to to hurt, to have a bad day, to need help, whatever it is. And when we, when we start to appreciate that, then, then the rest of us will start to say, maybe I can, maybe I feel safe to share a bit more. Yeah. And, and so going back to the acting, I think uh, it sounds to me like the acting was your way of expressing or releasing your feelings. You know, everybody sort of needs one and, and particularly going from, you know, being part of a team sport, playing football your whole life, that was probably your avenue to release things. And then 
acting became that as well. And for me, I think it sort of sounds like when you're in hospitality and like you sort of, everything was bottling up. And did you, did you feel that acting was your channel to express yourself in a way that was accepted that you couldn't do in normal life? Dale, I'm going to give you some credit over there, mate, because you, you seriously nailed the head with, with what you just said there. Um, I, I literally have shared this with people so many different times um, that for me, I'm, I'm an extremely emotional guy and, and I have uh, uh, highly sensitive. There's books around that as probably part of my upbringing and, and who part of who I am and learning to deal with that. I got really good at being able to hold in my emotions. It usually just got all bottled up behind some anger, which some poor sucker was going to have to deal with at some point. <laughs> You know what I mean? Time bomb. Yeah, um, of course. But that, that acting, those two days a week that I was studying and, and doing that, you know, I had a job on the, the side and I was, I was doing janitor work just to pay for the classes within the school because it was so valuable. It, we would get in there and we'd sit in a chair and, and we had these amazing teachers that the school was the lyric school of acting, no longer around in Vancouver, but at the time was kind of like the New York actor studio of Vancouver for us. Right. And Michelle Lonsdale Smith and Kate Twa were the two ladies, two acting coaches still today were just amazing ladies and amazing ladies in my life, um, who I probably owe apologies to for the way I left things, but it's a different story. <laughs> um, but they, they really showed us this, um, this method of, you know, sitting in the chair and you spend a half an hour relaxing, similar to meditation, but you're making sounds and you're, they're asking you, how do you feel? And you're always connecting with these four, four base emotions, right? With, um, happy, sad, angry, or, or scared. And, and that would be our time to just emote, let it come out and get out whatever you got going on. You spent the day talking to Telstra, trying to get your internet fixed and come in with like all this anger, you're ready to, to shake the world. Um, so yeah, that outlet for me became so important, so important. And, and what's, what's funny is that when we would leave that class, they would literally give us warnings some nights. They'd be like, you know, we want to remind you that what you just did in here is, a, is an amazing example of what humanity is and what everybody feels and the whole point of acting, the point of theater to show people what it's like underneath to rip open your guts. Do not go do this out in the streets and do not take this to your work because it's not safe out there. And that was a really important lesson back in those days because it wasn't. If you brought that, people would be like, um, he's crying again. Can we uh, <laughs> yeah. pull a drape or something? Um, but I think I, I feel like the time, the time is now. The time is for people to start saying, you know what? We can. We can share with this at work. Maybe we just we don't come up and, and overly express our emotions at work. But to be able to be open and talk about them or ask for a, a safe place, the right time and the right place to say, hey, man, I'm feeling... I'm feeling like wrecking something right now. Can we talk? Cause I got to get this off my chest Yeah, that we're at a place now where society will get that. I, I, I totally agree. And, and I, I just still feel that people don't have that Avenue though, Scott, that people want to share. They want to do this, but again, that vulnerability, it's still like, I know there's, are you okay day? And people post things on Facebook and, and say, Oh, share this, share that. And like, to be honest, I think it's crap, you know, because it's all well and good to, to post these things, but then people don't actually back it up. And when somebody does start crying or something, people find it, think it's a negative or people get scared of it because they don't actually know what to do. Do you find that, that people don't have acting in their life? People don't, if people don't have a passion, then they probably don't have an avenue to release those feelings and emotions like you've just mentioned. Yeah, I, I mean, I never want to take away the steps that have been made, take away from that and like, 
are you okay day is great and people are you know all the businesses we did it in hospitality we blow signs everywhere but it's more it became more about ticking a box than really taking that action step forward to be able to truly help people um and i remember throwing out some ideas at points where it was like what if we have somebody out front and they're really engaging people and they're talking like well we don't want to i don't want to open that can of worms um but but at least we're taking steps right at least yeah. the awareness is the start to that to get yep. that but i agree it's it's really all of these things, everything to me is the, the real where things fall off in, in 2020 when we're in an age where everything's about self-help and self-growth and, and, and improvement. Two out of three books in the bookstore are about that. But we get caught up in this idea that knowledge or awareness is the thing, but action is the thing, right? I actually mm -hmm. think, you know, they say knowledge is power. I think, I think knowledge is procrastination to me. Um, action is power taking that potential energy and turning it to kinetic energy and doing something about it. Right. I read the, 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 the Joe Dispenza book, which changed the way I think a few, a few months ago, um, breaking the habit of being yourself. And this book changed everything about the way that I think I'm like, this is amazing knowledge. And I got to the last chapter and it's like, all right, so to, to put all this into action, all you got to do is uh, start these one hour meditations. And I was like, Whoa, 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 Joe. That sounds like a lot of work. I know. I know. I'm going to read your next book and get more knowledge. And then, then maybe I'll know enough to do something. Right. Instead of I doing the work. Relying on this side, instead of doing the work and taking action. Right. And that's, that's really what I'm about in my life now is, is practicing, keeping promises to myself, which are based around taking action and following through on that action, whether it's helping myself, helping somebody else or whatever it is. Yeah. But yeah, to, I think that. that action, what's what makes is going to make all that stuff that we're doing that looks pretty actually mean something out there yeah and i think it's all well and good to read all these different things and like it like people on the podcast will be listening now and they want to do these things i call them their gunners i'm going to do this i'm going to do that but if yeah. you actually don't pull the trigger in many four of that and actually go ahead and do it scott you know you're not accountable you're not getting those good routines so let's fast forward or rewind a little bit um obviously going from leaving your job to starting iCoach connect mate that is really stepping out there but you are taking that action yeah. like said um how hard was that for you to finally do because obviously it's something you've been thinking about for a while what was it the the final straw that just said right i'm gonna do it Jeez. so i mean this the scariest part for me was knowing that that was going to require somewhat of a social media presence and i've always been very scared away from being out there on social the last 15 years of my facebook life is pictures of my kid before that I don't, I don't know pictures of me drinking maybe we're as good as god back then <laughs> but to, to do that and share of myself in a way where you know there's going to be judgment or, or or you're at least afraid of that um what was the final straw i don't know there was i don't know that there was a, a final straw it felt like just a lot of straws kind of landing at once for me the support of my family and knowing that that they were behind me with it was really something um, to, to be looking ahead, you know, I guess I used to live a lot in the past and I had, I would have these moments or pockets within the present where I would look to the future. And normally I would, I would, as soon as I'd see that it didn't look so good. So I would immediately start smoking and that bring me right back to the present and the past again. Right. When I start, when I had those moments of clarity where I could look at the future and I'm like, I see a future that I don't want. I don't want to be another 20 years where I feel like I'm a stoner dad. And again, not that that's wrong for everybody. It wasn't right for me. 
and and I didn't want to be angry. I didn't want to be doing the same job that I'm doing now. Um, I want to be helping people in a way that that they can help themselves. And I want to do that in a way that I feel right, not in a way that my boss feels right or some corporate log line or idea, but what they say they think is right. I want to do it the way that I think is right. Cause I really, I trust in my values and, and, and my moral compass that, that what I'm doing feels right. Um, and when I started to do that, and then I thought I started picturing the, the future that I wanted and what I wanted it to look like and give me that independence from having to work for, for somebody for the next 20 years. And, and, and have to say yes to something that I don't quite agree with. When, when I looked at that future, that was, I think, the moment where I was like, this is, I need to do something about that. And then yeah. just the right things fell into place to realize I don't need to be all the way there tomorrow. I just need to take one step tomorrow. And the day after that, I just need to take one more step from there. And now I'm, now I'm, now I'm eight months worth of steps in. And I, I'm so happy that I took the chance on myself to do that. I, I love that, mate. And I know people out there are probably listening and they're, they're like, I want to do something too. And I think that last bit you just spoke about that you you can't do it all at once and it's gradual little steps and, and you've got to slowly go about it. You, if you try and do everything at once, it's not going to work, is it? But the way you've done it, you've obviously just gone at your own pace. You felt comfortable and now you're really proud and you sort of found your why, your purpose really, haven't you? Oh, a hundred percent. And I, I felt like, the purpose was always was has been slapping me in the in the face for the last five years. I just couldn't wasn't brave enough to really kind of to grab it, I guess, right? And and you know, one of the best things that I did was really reached out beyond myself for support and and the resources that were around me. So I mean, I went to see a, an addiction psychologist. I went to NA meetings again. I went to reached out to my family. I anybody that I had any. Um, you know, did some of the step work that came with with the AA program back and then. Again, not that I felt like my drug problem was such a big thing in the way, but me, the 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 type of person I was was in the way, and this stuff was really working on that. Um, I got this really great coach, um, Alex Stacy James, who helped me through the beginning process of getting this business going. She works out of Vancouver. I got nothing but respect for her, and um, Google her, Google her if you're in Vancouver for sure. Um, the, the uh, I just, I had a lot of, I took the, I used the resources around me and those resources were people. I connected with people in my life that, that made, um, that made me better and helped me towards that vision of where I want to be. And weren't a part of that old story I used to tell myself of who I used to be. Yeah. And that, and then, and then everything changed, right? Everything changed from there. And then, and then just seeing all of these these steps forward just as that and changing that mindset and how I think and how I look at things. You know, I, I never say that I took steps backwards anymore. That's just, that doesn't exist to me. Everything's a step forward. It's just how fast and how far. Yeah. Right. I and, love um, that, mate. It's, I think that's, yeah. it really does come down to relationships and life is all about those connections that you have. Um, 100%. And I, I think we undervalue that sometimes and we take it for granted, but um, you know, the connection you have with family, friends and people in your life. And, and like you just said, you're connecting with people that you like, particularly Andy, um, that you haven't spoken yep. to in a long time. And when you get good people back in your life, it has such a positive impact on not only you as a person, but everything you're doing. Uh, I, just, I feel like a magnet of positivity now. And, and believe me, I have, I have bad days. I have bad moments. 
this morning I woke up, I went to the bathroom, I came back, the dog came in, peed on my bed and was lying there. <laughs> so I was like, I, was, I, was, I had plans, I was gonna meditate, I was gonna come in and like just do a calm when I was talking to you today. And then the dog peed on my bed and yeah, things went, and then there was a giant flying cockroach and I'm like, right? But that's, that's the stuff that I've, I've learned to deal with and all of that and, and being able to handle that stuff um, in a positive way and, and put tools in my life that, that, that when I get derailed, I can now get back on track in a couple of minutes or a couple of hours or a couple of days when it's really bad compared to what was a couple of days, weeks or years before um, has been really, really valuable for me. And that's just done nothing but attract good people around me. And, and even, even some of the not so good people around, I'm starting to see those as, as there for a darn good reason too, as those obstacles that I need to, that I need to work around and work with. Because as much as I believe in that common philosophy now about cutting toxic people out of your life, I think, you know, if you can't, if you personally aren't strong enough to be able to support the weight of somebody else who needs you to help keep them afloat, then by all means, if they're dragging you down, we got to let people like that go in our life. But I, I just spent six months fully investing on myself, like in, in the gross stuff I have for six, seven months while I was building the business, but also just working on me. Right. And I got myself in a way where I can really, I can really hold myself above water in, in the way that I can, I can hold the people closest to me in my life up on days that they don't need to too. And I've even got room for some of those toxic people that were in my life to say, I don't need to cut you out. And if you need something to hold on to one day, I'm here, mate. Yeah, show me how hold on to it. I think that uh, that really comes down to Scott that uh, you're in a better place yourself, and and I think when you yeah. time in yourself and you stop giving it to everybody else, and you're like, you need to be happy within yourself before you can be really happy with anybody else or anything in your life. And it sounds like that's what you've been doing, mate. Well, when I I I, I had I knew I had this purpose. I wanted to give people a gift, this gift of help, right? but I didn't have this gift yet. And you can't give somebody something that you don't have to give. Correct. It's not yours. And so I, right. It's, it's not mine. I, I needed to, to really fill myself, fill my cup in, in that respect so that when those things happen, there, there's an analogy I use. I actually just posted not long ago about um, this little white rowboat out, out in the middle of the ocean, right? And imagining that all the people that rely on you in your life are in the water, holding onto the rope on the outside of this boat to keep them afloat. And, and, and thinking to yourself, you know, how much, if, if I knew that was the case, that everybody I loved and cared about was relying on this boat at times in their life to keep them afloat, how much time and energy and money would I put into making sure that this boat was seaworthy, making sure that it could float, making sure that it could weather the storms ahead because storms are going to come, right? And, and obviously, my thought was, you know, I, I would do anything. I would do anything that I need to do to make sure that boat is ready. And then when I think that I'm the boat, how much time would I be willing to put into me to make sure that I'm seaworthy, that I can float, that I can weather the storms ahead so that the people that are relying on me can, can, can come along. And it wasn't nearly enough. And that's, that's really what I've done over these last six or seven months is put in the same amount of time that I would into that boat. I put it into me because I've got just as many people relying on me. Yeah, I, I love that. And I'm actually, uh, later this year, Andy and myself are keynoting a conference in North Carolina. And my topic is you've got to put on your own oxygen mask first. And I think as nice. anybody, we are too quick to put other people first and other people. And you can't really service anybody, Scott, unless you are looking after number one. And that sounds exactly like with your rowboat, mate. Yeah, 
Yeah, and you know what? I've heard uh, I've heard the, the reference to that before, and I, I've always equated it back to an old Baywatch episode that I've watched. <laughs> Remember Baywatch? That's where all the great life lessons came. From, right? <laughs> the Hulk. <laughs> Hassle out. When when they weren't in slow motion, rain, there was a there was an episode where one of the they were training a new lifeguard and they were asking questions and they were like, "You're out in the surf and a person goes unconscious and you swim out to them, you're bringing them back and you get swept into the to the what is it where the dock is and the the big legs come down into the water the uh, the lighthouse into the the docks or whatever okay. it is the the where the you know you go out on the deck. Oh, the jetty, like the, the jetty. Yeah, like or the, the jetty, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. The big jetty. You're getting swallowed into the jetty, and you're gonna, the wave's going to crash you against one of the big legs of the jetty. What do you do? And the, the, the young go-getter um, rookie lifeguard says, you know, I put my body between me and, and the person I'm trying to save to protect them. And Hasselhoff gives them the old, well, great. Now you, now you both die. You get knocked unconscious, and you both drown, all right? And the idea that in that episode is like, you actually have to put the body of the victim in between you and them because saving you is the most important thing to be able to help save them. And sometimes, you know, it's silly, but that it, it needs to be that serious. And that's where I think when it becomes important about cutting toxic people out of your life or doing things that seem hard or harsh, that sometimes we need to do things that, that big to be able to protect ourselves in a way so that we're going to be fit to be able to come back and, and help in the way that we want to help. I, Love that analogy. And there's no way known I would have thought I'd be thinking of David Hafflehoff and Pamela Anderson for a life lesson like that, that I might what? now use in my keynote. Thanks, <laughs> you, you might want to figure out the word, the proper word for jetty. So you're not like, sitting there like a fool like I did for five minutes. But uh, yeah, that was... <laughs> Oxygen mask 2.0. <laughs> I love that, mate. I love that. So let's get a little bit more into uh, iCoach Connect, mate. What um, mm. what can people expect? Because um, I've really enjoyed, you know, your, your vulnerability today. You've really opened up. And I think that is the power of connecting with people and making relationships. That You have to be open and honest before you can actually allow people in to trust and build that safe zone. So iCoach mm-hmm. Connect, let's explain it, mate. What What can we expect in it? Well, I'll tell you, if you go to the website, uh, iCoachConnect.net, the first thing you see is uh, helping people achieve what matters most to them. Like, there's a real kind of broad spe- spectrum to it. Um, one, because I'm still working through being better at business and niching out what that is, which all the, the, the proper marketers tell you to do and whatnot. Um, when we first spoke, I told you, you know, I'm really about attraction, not promotion right now, because um, I want to keep working on me and working and doing the things that, that bring people in. Um, and a lot of my current clients have come through referrals of people I've worked through before. But um, the, the initial idea was really it's, it's tran- transitional life coaching is, what is, is how it's described, right? And life coaching, for those that don't know, isn't about uh, giving people solutions to your problems. It's helping show you the options that you already know and helping remove the obstacles within yourself that are keeping you from taking those steps forward to do that thing that you really want to do with connecting with your purpose, with your meaning, with whatever it is. But it can also be a lot simpler than that. It can be, I just want to quit smoking because I'm tired of spending money for it. Or I just want to put a plan together to save, save up to, to have a pool for my kids in the next three years when they, when they're old enough, because it's so damn hot in Australia. <laughs> um, it's kind of the reason I stayed away from transitional or transformational life coaching. And, and not that there's anything wrong with that. I used a transformational life coach when I was, um, when I was going through my, my thing. But sometimes that's too big and it's too scary for the, for the average 
um, I call it blue collar person out there who's like, I'm not looking to transform my life. I just want to go from A to B on something that's really, really important to me. And that's, that's where I, I see it really fitting for people. So, um, you know, without uh, confidentiality is really important, of course. So without sharing who or, or, or anything like that, there's clients that I have worked with in the past around quitting smoking, around uh, trying to transition from working for somebody in hospitality to having their own place and what that looks like to transition towards their own business, um, to spending more time with their kids as a family person and doing that. Um, or just identifying what they feel their purpose or meaning is in life. Because some people, some people don't know that, right? Just like we were saying with some people, everybody reads all these books and they don't put into action what they're reading. For some people, the action they need to do in their life first is to read a book, is to read that book. And not everybody has even taken that step yet. So it's really about, I know, helping people um, with where they're at. So coming to where they're at and not saying you got to, you got to, you got to quit your job, mate. You got to do all this and, and make these huge changes in your life to be happy because you don't, you can still work nine to five. You can still work 60 hours a week in hospital. You can do whatever feels right for you and you can, and you can find a better version of yourself or a happier version of yourself or connected war with your meaning and your values um, right where you're at without having to change a thing. Yeah. I, and I love that. And I think, uh, it's not just about having a coach, but it's about having someone else just to really help you there and, and believing you as well. Um, and I know I've got a lot of mentors, coaches, and I constantly yeah. seek out people like yourself, Scott, to just help me because you do get these roadblocks and you can't do everything yourself. Um, so I'll mm -hmm. have links episode 180 guys. Um, so you can reach out to Scott and contact him there. But, um, just before I let you go, mate, because I know you've got to clean up that dog piss and that cockroach is probably, <laughs> it's probably still... Life is waiting. <laughs> I'd hate for your sheep to get stained, mate. But um, I've got a couple of questions <laughs> I'd like to finish off. And I actually stole this one off the great Andy Vasily. And it's, um, if you could look back over everything you've done in life and go back to 18-year-old Scott and give yourself one bit of advice from everything you've done, what would that be? That's a tough question. The, the first thing that just jumped in my head was just don't wait, was don't wait because I literally felt like uh, I was a slave to, to my, to my kryptonites for that 20 years for this 20 year block in between coming out of school and having all this potential and, and you know, what's, what's the world got for me. Um, and I hid in a basement for 20 years. Not that, not that I didn't have experiences and do things, but, I really didn't take those steps towards chasing the thing that I really want in life. So I would, I would tell that, that I think I was shaved head guy back then too. So I tell the guy that looks a lot like this, but less wrinkles. Um, <laughs> just don't wait. Just don't wait. You're going to, you're going to do it anyways. Don't wait and don't waste the time that you have in between. Not that I'm looking back on that time as a waste because it's informed me to who the person I am now and today. But if I was starting again at 18, I would just say, don't wait. Yeah. I think, I think that's really good advice because we have all these ideas and it, it might take a little bit longer, but the past, it's not because you didn't do it earlier. The lessons you've learned, that is, that shaped you, the person you are now, and, and you'll be able to help more people because of what you've gone through. And I think too often people, Scott, are like, ah, oh, I've wasted this time or it's a negative, but it's actually not because you are who you are because of the experience you've had. I, I had a moment a couple months into my transition into coaching and, and growth in myself where I just, I just wept for hours. And I, I was just such joy because I, I realized 
how valuable every single moment of, of my life has meant and everything that I've done. I mean, right down to rehab and to every failures and the, the, sh the TV shows I didn't get and the things and, you know, my, my ex and I, we've been living together for three years now as co-parents and not together in that relationships. And but all of that has been so valuable for me to be able to do the thing that I know I'm, I'm meant I'm put here to be and is to help people. Right. And that, and how informed am I as a person to be able to help people? And they're like, Oh, I got a smoking problem. I'm like, hey, well, let me tell you about my rehab experience. It's pretty important stuff. Right. So uh, I a hundred percent agree. I a hundred percent agree. I love that. So um, I will have links in the show notes to your website, but you just said you're, you're massive on uh, socials now, mate. Where, where do you do most of your damage on social media these days, Scott? Oh, mate, you're going to embarrass me here. I'm going to have to know what things are called. Aren't I? Uh, so I do. What I do is a lot of, I, I coach connect.net on Facebook is where I post videos, uh, pretty much a video weekly. And I have been through that journey right from when I quit started at my hundred days of quit quitting smoking. Um, I've been posting just really genuine videos on how I'm feeling in my journey. Um, cause I thought, you know, everybody likes to listen to people once they're millionaires and they're saying like, Oh, what I used to do. I'm like, I'm just going to show what it looks like now, what it looks like to be in the thick of it, to be in the hard times. So, um, Facebook is the main part of that for me under uh, I Coach Connect um, and or under my name Scott Miller is another link that gets you through through to that. Legend. All right. Well, I'll, uh, I'll have links on there, mate. And uh, yeah, thanks for you know sharing everything today, Scott. I've really enjoyed it, mate. I think you've got a fascinating story, and um, I can see why Andy wanted uh, to reconnect with you, mate. You're a, you're a top bloke, and keep doing what you're doing, guys. Reach out to Scott if you love this episode. If you want to talk to him more, I'll have everything in the show notes. So thanks for your time today, buddy. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. and appreciate you having a, a vehicle like this that helps people like me be able to, to, to spread the word, man. It's really awesome what you do. Champion. Thanks, buddy.